We talked a lot this week about what can, what should the city do when it comes to clearing away the rubble from derelict, burned-out buildings. Well, it looks like there might finally be some movement at City Hall. Also, today is Red Dress Day in honor of and to raise awareness of missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people. And on this day, we had the privilege of speaking with Indigenous Voices Award-nominated author Michelle Porter on her debut novel, A Grandmother Begins the Story, which comes out on May 9th. And we learned about a couple of hockey fans in Toronto who hate the Maple Leafs. They go to all the games and cheer for anybody but Toronto. Of what are you an anti-fan? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's on Connecting Winnipeg this week. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Friday, May 5th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg once again, filling in for Hal Anderson. And as you just heard in Sarah McCarthy's newscast, Alberta wildfires are turning life upside down for thousands. Yeah, this is news that I woke up to this morning on the drive and listening to the shift on 680 CJOB late last night, Mountain Time, and just past midnight Central Time, the Alberta town of Drayton Valley was ordered to evacuate as wildfires rage across Alberta. Drayton Valley is home to some 7,000 people in surrounding Brazo County, were ordered to leave their homes as one of dozens of wildfires across Alberta grew, threatening the community. At the same time, Brett, thousands in the province's northwest have fled to high level. High level is 700 kilometers or so north and west of Edmonton. Our colleague Cam Poitras is in studio with us a little earlier than usual this morning. Cam, this is one of the top national stories right now, and it has to be hitting you hard Personally, you spent nine months in this community. Yeah, um, my formative years in radio, I, I uh, got my first job out of province at 92.9 Big West Country there. And um, yeah, I worked in uh, Merritt as well uh, following my time in, in Drayton Valley, and they had got hit with a horrible flood. So um, my my tour in, in Western uh, Canada, as I was kind of learning the trade, um, it's, it's been a tough, tough couple couple of years, that's for sure. So in terms of you know, 7,000 people, yep. what's the what's the landscape like, for example, in Drayton Valley? Uh, well, it's basically smack dab in the middle of the woods. I mean, there's some agriculture. Forestry is a big part of the community as well. Um, and it, it runs along the uh, uh, North Saskatchewan River. I guess it's just the Saskatchewan River at that point. Um, but uh, it, it's surrounded by woods. I remember there's this community out, not far outside, a lodge pole. Uh, where there's a, uh, you know, a very top uh, train, it's a, it's a big boxing school there in, in that community, and it's literally right in the middle of the woods. And um, I, I remember when I was working there, and I got pretty close to the, uh, as you know, as as a reporter, I got pretty close to the fire department, and I remember talking to the police chief in the community there uh, about how bad the wildfires can get in that area. And um, and of course, this is Alberta. This isn't this isn't the foothills, um, but uh, it definitely you know, hilly in, in areas like that. And I remember uh, the police chief telling me that while they're fighting fires there, I mean, the wind blows in a certain direction as you're heading down the hill in a, 
you know, flying down the hill in, in a vehicle down uh, one of the roads, one of the many range roads um, in the area. Uh, by the time you get from the top of the hill to the bottom of the hill, the fire has beat you if you're chasing after it uh, when the wind goes in the right direction. So uh, this this it, it's it's always been something that you were constantly uh, on top of. Um, but when you were a reporter in the area was was wildfires. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's 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 obviously very, very. Very, very serious. So this is something that's on the radar. This is part of, I won't say it's part of life, but yeah. it's something like flooding in this part of the yeah. world. It's it's part of living there and, and potentially something that can can impact you. And it's, it's uh, if not front of mind, at least somewhere yeah. there all the time. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and, and there are people, tons of people that are living in like in very, very wooded areas there. Um, I'm guessing that's part of the attraction of uh, living in this part 100%, of Alberta. 100%. 100%. I, there was a lot of people that when I was there, they were like, you know, like Drayton Valley was as far uh, urban as they wanted, right? Um, uh, there was a lot of guys. It's, 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 it's rural Alberta. Let's, I'll just be honest. I'm, and that's not a shot. That's just what it is. I love rural Alberta. I love my time there. Um, but it's it, – yeah, there's a lot of people in in sort of in, in isolated spots there, and this is something that you you, you know that that's constantly top of mind, um, and it's something that the fire department obviously took very very serious in the area. And I mean, you, when something like this happens, I mean, it all makes sense. Cameron Poitras, thank you very much for the insight into Drayton Valley, Alberta, and just uh, again, 79 wildfires burning, Saskatchewan also, communities in northwestern Saskatchewan under evac orders as wildfires burn nearby. So we'll stay on top of that and see if any other communities have to evacuate when thousands of people are displaced like that. That's uh, obviously concerning, whether it's in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, wherever. These are our fellow Canadians. Yeah, and it uh, harkens back to the Fort McMurray fire several years ago and the thousands of people that had to evacuate there and the structures lost, the homes, the businesses, the rebuilding that's had to take place there. It's uh, it's frightening, Brett. I've I lived in Alberta two different times for several years of my life. I've never been to, to Drayton Valley. I've never been to that part of Alberta, but the way Cam describes it, incredibly gorgeous, and you can see why. Uh, the forest is a mixed blessing, much like the Red River and the Assiniboine Rivers in this part of the world. Uh, you know, they give life and, and they are uh, part of the economy, but at the same time pose a, a danger under the wrong circumstances. So, uh, like you said, we'll be following that throughout the day. Lots of other things going on today, including Red Dress Day will be uh, visiting with the, the the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. They've got a display in honor of of this special day. That's right. Red Dress Day in honor of and to raise awareness of missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people. So we'll uh, learn more about that at 8.35. And at 7.05, is City Hall going to make a move or a step forward in terms of the derelict building situation we've been discussing this week? Sounds like they just may be at least the first step. Sarah McCarthy sharing with you a motion coming forward from City Councilor Cindy Gilroy from Daniel McIntyre Ward. Uh, we'll share with her some of her thoughts uh, coming up after 7 o'clock, how this situation has impacted her neighborhood personally. We'll replay some of the thoughts from Winnipeg Mayor Scott Gillingham, who joined us yesterday morning. 
and how quickly this this change of heart perhaps has come about or that this proposal uh, to enforce a time limit on how long property owners have to clean up their property. We'll, we'll sort it all out for you The and the behind the scenes conversations that have been taking place over the last uh, several days, not only at City Hall, but on our radio station as well, Brett. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg today. Seven degrees and... I'm not sure that there is a meteorological, uh, like, you know, it's sunny in seven. It's cloudy in seven. It's stinky in seven. It stinks outside. I just stepped outside for a minute. It hit me like big George Foreman throwing a haymaker. It's gross. So we had that beautiful full moon overnight and into the early hours this morning. I I fought all urges to take a picture of my sunroof yep. of downtown Winnipeg with the you know the skyline and the gorgeous moon. I, I wouldn't do that because, uh, well, it's against the law, but I wanted to. Yep. I admit it freely because it was a fantastic sight. But now we've traded that beautiful moon for mostly clear sky and stinky conditions. <laughs> it reeks out there. I'm not sure what it is. It, it smells like sewage. And I noticed it too when I was leaving. It's not just downtown. I noticed it uh, even in the lobby of my apartment building. Like, what is that? And then I walked outside at 4.30 and thought, ooh, it's just weird. So I, don't, I have no idea. If anybody knows what it is, feel free to let us know. Is it a cacophony of smells? <laughs> Some, something that you recognize from summers past or times yeah. past, or is it a mixture of of several smells that we can often get in the city? I, I'm I'm curious, Brett. Yeah, it's it 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 really is a cocktail because I was trying to to nail it down. Sometimes you go, oh, that's mushroom factory, or sometimes you you take a whiff of something like when I used to live in in Transcona. Uh, if there was a, say a Southeast wind. Oh, the, the maple leaf plant or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That way the, the smell would come from there into Transcona. This is, feels like all of them. It's like all the bad smells in one. I, I just can't put my finger on it. Can't put my, and, so, and it was weird. Cause I'm like, I'm out there trying, what is that? So I'm take and then, so I'm taking like these deeper sniffs, but, and then like, Oh, gross. <laughs> Why am I doing? Oh, what is that? Ugh. If it was a cocktail, maybe this will be uh, something for our listeners. If this was a cocktail and they were serving it at the Palomino Club, <laughs> what would its name be? <laughs> Come up with something creative. We've got the potentially the mushroom plant, potentially, you know, uh, bacon, ham processing going on. The smell of the of the hog manure making its way into the city of Winnipeg this morning. We're not exactly sure what it is, but if you were, you know, creating a cocktail to encapsulate that, that smell that Brett is, is intoxicated by this morning, what would that <laughs> beverage be? Let us know at 204 780 One of our listeners uh, pointing out that uh, this is uh, Stacy who says that smell is from the, the pork rendering plant southeast of the city. So thank you for that. In the meantime, we switch gears to this, and Sarah McCarthy's been telling you about this, an 18-year-old man, uh, Winnipeg man, accused of manufacturing and selling 3D-printed ghost guns from his Boyd Avenue home is in custody. Police are hoping new proposed amendments made to a federal government bill will lead to fewer of these busts in the future. Global's Kevin Hirschfield looks into the rise of 3D-printed firearms in our city. 
This investigation started in January between local police units and the Canada Border Services Agency when gun parts disguised as tools and machining equipment were shipped by couriers from the U.S. and China and found to be headed to Winnipeg. Then on March 31st, police raided a home on Boyd Avenue. And here's some of what they found. 20 Glock-style lower receivers, which make up part of a 3D firearm. They also seized a 3D-printed AR-15-style firearm, resembling a Nerf-style children's toy. A number of other gun parts, along with drugs, were also found. 18-year-old Jackson Prince of Winnipeg faces a number of charges. Now, seizures like this are becoming all too common in the city, according to Inspector Elton Hall of the Organized Crime Division. Last year, for example, we seized 14 3D-printed guns in the city, and this year we're already at 23 and I believe we just seized two more. We might be at 25 for this week, and we're not even halfway through the year yet. And I can't even tell you for sure if we've included some of these receivers into that stat. So we've seen a real big influx in 3D printed guns in the city in the last two years, especially in the last four months. Now, Hall says new proposed amendments to the federal government's Bill C-21 announced recently could put a halt to incidents like this. He says right now, those receiver parts on their own are legal and can be printed and shipped without consequence. Now, one of the amendments would prohibit the movement and the transfer of those parts. And Hall says this could make a world of difference. But in my opinion, uh, and I look at this from a, a more of a global perspective, I think it's going to drive the price up on these guns. And so it's going to make it unaffordable for a lot of uh, maybe lower level gang members to buy. Right now, legitimate real handguns from the United States that are trafficking around $5,000. You can make these firearms as one and done guns or throwaway guns and they're very cheap. Now Hall says some of these 3D firearms are used in shootings in the city and he says total shootings in Winnipeg through the first quarter of 2023 are higher than any first quarter before. We've seen a real big influx in 3D printed guns in the city in the last two years, especially in the last four months. My quarter one numbers for um, shootings in a city right now and gun violence is higher than it's been in any other quarter one before. So we're seeing an influx. This is scary. It's sad. But I guess also not surprising because once again, we have an example of something good that's being used for bad. 3D printers have been blowing my mind for years now. And they do so many amazing things. But now they're being used for this awful thing. And I, rem- I remember, you remember the movie In the Line of Fire starring Clint Eastwood and John Malkovich sure. in 1993? Absolutely. I remember that being yes. scared by the so something in that where Malkovich, it was, he wanted to assassinate the president, right? That's right. And he had a plastic gun mm-hmm. that, that, he, that he made himself and fashioned it through various parts and hid them in various compartments in his luggage. And he kept the bullet, I think, in a rabbit's foot or something like that. And uh, I remember thinking, gosh, plastic guns that can get through metal detectors, that's scary. How many years ago was that movie? 30. Exactly. So this is, this is, not, I mean, good for the police for, for making this bust, and hopefully they can uh, get on top of this. But you can read more on this at cjob.com. I yeah. hate when technology is co-opted yeah. for bad things, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. You can also weigh in 
On the question Greg was asking, because I was describing the smells outside there that, that are awful, and apparently Stacy says it's from a pork rendering plant southeast of the city. But Greg, what was your question? I wanted to know if the Palomino Club was trying to encapsulate that uh, mm, pungent energy <laughs> that Brett is experiencing at Portage in Maine this morning. What would that drink be called? Steve says sensory overload. Okay. Uh, Richard says, of course, you'd call the drink One Great City. <laughs> Jeff said that beverage would be called a Regina. Okay. And Brandon says it's the smell of defeat coming from Toronto. <laughs> Wind from the east. Because <laughs> the Maple Leafs lost again. LOL. They're down 2 nothing to Florida. It's Mackling and McGarry McNabb's on Connecting Winnipeg today. If you watch NHL games featuring the Toronto Maple Leafs, you may have seen the two fans we are about to tell you about. Danny DiGiusto and her father Irv have two favorite teams, the Montreal Canadiens and anyone who plays the Toronto Maple Leafs. This from Espen Hockey writer, ESPN, <laughs> the once upon a time puck daddy, Greg Wyshynski from what, ESPN. Yeah, watch any Leafs home game when an opponent opponent scores and the cameras will inevitably find them. They were the enthusiastic fans in the Florida Panthers jerseys at game one and the ones dressed in Tampa Bay Lightning sweaters in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. They're the invading Senators fans. They're the lone Coyotes fans. The Seattle Kraken are still fairly new in the NHL, but father and daughter repped their jerseys when the team skated at Scotiabank Arena. Irv Digusto started the tradition all the way back when the Leafs were playing at Maple Leaf Gardens, attending games while wearing an opponent's jersey overall. He has been showing up to cheer against the Leafs for about 40 years with a collection of jerseys from around the NHL. That is commitment, Brett McGarry. Indeed, commitment to being against something and having some fun with that. So we want to know what brings out the anti in you. Is there something you vehemently oppose? And let's keep this light. Like, can we please just keep politics out of this discussion? Uh, is Thank there a team you hate, a show you hate, a movie, an actor, maybe a song, a musician, or maybe something random like this? For roughly 20 years, I refused. I declared a full moratorium on mashed potatoes because we <laughs> ate so many mashed potatoes over the years when I was a kid because my dad liked mashed potatoes and it was easy for my mom to make. So we ate mashed potatoes almost every day. So when I turned 18, I said, Mom, I'm not eating mashed potatoes anymore. And I think it was until my late 30s before I finally had some. And uh, that that relationship has since mended, but uh, I don't go out of my way to eat mashed potatoes. Still, still, okay. Yeah. Just I've had enough of them to right. last me forever. Now, so let's go around the horn here for a chance to win tickets for Jagged Little Pill, Cameron Poitras. Uh, well, this is this has come up several times, and I've always avoided saying this because I know that there's a lot of people in this office that work for this that will totally disagree with me and are actually fans. But as I get older, every day, every hour, every minute, I cannot stand this musician more and more and more. I hate Bon Jovi. <laughs> oh, if only the Ren were here. I cannot stand him. I think he is so lame. I think his music sucks. He is so lame. There's no one lamer than Bon Jovi. <laughs> he thinks it's like so cool. It's not cool. Bon Jovi is not cool. 
Here's another. Here, this is. It's all bad. Well, they say right in the song, yeah. it's bad medicine. Yeah, he's trying to tell you to stop listening because his music is bad medicine. <laughs> now, I saw Bon Jovi for the first time. I think it was in 1984, May 6th, 84, I think. They opened for Scorpions. They were absolutely terrible. I've subsequently <laughs> yeah. seen them six times, and I love Bon Jovi. Mm-hmm. And so this, these are fighting words, Cam. Yes, I agree. All right, that's awesome stuff. Sarah McCarthy, what about you? Well, Cam, no, my aunt absolutely despises you. No, no, bon it's, it's, a, it's a very controversial <laughs> statement. There are diehard Bon Jovi yeah, fans. Yeah, she is one of them. Mine is just tomatoes. I can't get I can't get with tomatoes. You and Jeff Braun and need to get it together and talk about tomatoes <laughs> and your hatred for them. My dad also hates them, so maybe it runs in the family. I don't know. It was like a genetic palate thing, but no to tomatoes. Do you like oh. marinara sauce? I do. See, like I can have them like well, crushed tomatoes. and sauce, but not like on a burger, not like a, nah. So all no, tomatoes? Pretty much. Sometimes, Roma, sometimes I can get with the little ones, like Jerry. Jerry, but no, just not an acquired taste for me. I okay. Guess. Hey, that's, <laughs> it's that's, like mashed potatoes. Is it, yeah. is it the texture? Is it the way they explode? Is it the, like, Both of what you just said, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. like them for that reason. Oh, okay. I, I often yeah. sort of feel like, I don't know if it's acid reflux or what, but sometimes yeah. when I eat tomatoes, I just, you know, there's uh, something... Not right. Something not right. Forte, what about you? Okay, hot take. Hot take here. Uh, I'm not a fan of bright lights, which means I don't like daylight savings time. And I know I'm in the minority for that one. I'm with you. Yeah, well, I just, I, I, I like it when the sun, once the sun sets, that's when I'm like, I'm comfortable. And I don't get, I don't get to see the sun set like at all during the summer. It's uh, it, it just it, it it makes me cringe. It's just I'm, and like I, I like it dark in here, and I'm always in the dark in this studio. So uh, yeah, that's fair. Now we've discussed this before. I'm I'm a fellow weirdo with you, Fortier. When it, when the the sun goes down to like 4:45 p.m. in December, that's like happy time for uh, McGarry. Yeah, well, that that could be a little little early, but like I in the summertime, I would like it to be you know sunset. 7 30 8 o'clock i think that'd be nice no i'm cool with that mackling what about you you must have well i know i'll be aside from the saskatchewan yeah, Rough Riders, yeah of we're not gonna go with the obvious one since cam has dug so deep into the tickle trunk on his <laughs> anti rant and we're getting mixed reviews lots of people agreeing with you on the text line by the way cam now i want to make it clear i i'm anti coffee but i am not anti coffee drinker or anti-coffee drinking. <laughs> it's just for me. Yeah. I'm anti-coffee. I support the drinking of coffee, just not for me. Just but I'm a big supporter me. of it. Okay. I'm a big supporter of it. Used to own part of a <laughs> coffee shop once upon a time. Yeah. So okay. this is important uh, to get that distinction out there and make it clear to everyone. I'm not anti-coffee. But for me, I cannot stand the smell of coffee and my grandparents on my mom's side used to sit and drink coffee and play crib and smoke. And so the smell (laughs) of coffee makes me think of smoking Mm. crib is fine, but you know, that's just all sorts of (laughs) negative connotations for me. And I've never, ever, on purpose, had a sip of coffee, coffee in my life. Wow. Well, and you also do have a like a, a boring on superhero sense of smell. It's bizarre, isn't it? 
like the stuff I can smell and from where. It's it's awful. So I haven't been outside today, so I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> Hopefully by 10 o'clock it's cleared. <laughs> so here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win some tickets for Jagged Little Pill, an award-winning musical coming to Centennial Concert Hall in October. Tell us, what are you an anti-fan of? And again, let's keep this light. Let's keep it fun. There's no no discussion about politics or vaccines or whatever. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg today. In a moment, we are going to discuss derelict buildings and some potential movement at City Hall on that file. But before that, uh, I I knew you would zero in on this one, Greg, because we're asking... You, our listeners, to tell us, is there something that you are an anti-fan of? Like this uh, father and daughter combo. They go to all the Leafs games, but they cheer for not the Leafs. doesn't matter who's in town. They are cheering for that team. And between them, I think they have 40 jerseys, which is a pretty cool collection. Um, so what are you an anti-fan of? And Chesney, tugging at your heartstrings. I cannot stand the Edmonton Oilers. Back in the 80s, they kept beating us when we had a fantastic team. Just couldn't get by them. Then for years, they were getting top picks in the draft till... Uh, was changed to the lottery. Most picks fail at first. Made me so happy. I get so excited when they lose, and the Maple Leafs are a close, close second. Oh, that's uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, even as a casual fan, the Oil, I I don't like the Oilers either because of that. Like I like, and so I remember as a, you know, I was a basketball fan, and I remember in the nineties, the New I cheered for often cheered for the New York Knicks. And they can never get past the Bulls. They so the Knicks. You could compare the Knicks to the Jet, the Winnipeg Jets of that era, and the Oilers were the like the Bulls. Just the Knicks were good. Bulls were better. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's a, a similar color scheme. You had the Knicks yeah, and the right, yeah. the blue and orange. Mm. Yep. Okay. So during our monthly visit with Winnipeg Mayor Scott Gillingham yesterday, we asked the mayor how he feels when he sees. The carcass burned out buildings sitting, begging to be leveled for weeks, if not months at a time. It frustrates me. You know, I ask, why can't this be cleaned up? And I can tell you that there's not a counselor that I've spoken to that isn't equally frustrated with these situations. That's why we're working hard to take action, to make changes so that, uh, you know, our city can be can be cleaned up and, and, you know, the derelict buildings reduced. And when something burns or when something's torn down, the rubble is cleaned up as soon as possible. Could action be on the horizon? Cindy Gilroy, Winnipeg City Councilor, and Daniel McIntyre is set to bring a motion to Community Services Committee today on cleaning up the debris from demolished buildings and bill the owners. Gilroy says this situation is active and impacts the neighborhood where she lives. And the one in my own neighborhood has been over a year that it's been sitting there. The city has uh, told the owner to clean it up. And you know what? It's still not done yet. And so we really have to strengthen our city's mechanisms in dealing with this. And even if there's a cost to the city, uh, I would like us to, to clean it up. And hopefully, uh, if, if we can find the owner and we have an owner, we can uh, put that back onto the property tax bills and recoup that money eventually. So that's the hope with the motion here today. 
Gilroy joined Richard and Julie on the news yesterday afternoon. They wanted to know how long has this particular motion been on the drawing board? The motion is fairly new. Um, I have a few motions that are in the works, and I thought that this might cover it under my derelict vacant building motion. But I just think that, you know, it's it's time that this needs a separate motion. Really look at it separately. Um, I think it involves the province as well, just because um, some of the uh, health health regulations around that uh the cleanup uh is also the province so you know let's let's try to work and see what we can get done at at the city level and hopefully have some cooperation with the provincial government so uh gilroy uh mentioning the province there mayor gillingham mentioned in his visit with us yesterday one specific property on north main street which burned in february he told us why those structures remain partially standing That situation at 843 Main Street specifically, the city issued an order for that site to be cleaned up following the fire in February. But the province, Workplace Health and Safety, they have stepped in and issued a stop work order for asbestos testing and potential uh, remediation. So really the the provincial Workplace Health and Safety order uh, trumps, uh, supersedes the city's order to clean up. So that, that has to be done. And that's a, that's a matter between the property owner and Workplace Health and Safety at, at this point. Hopefully the province moves quickly on that because these structures are eyesores. They're an invitation for illegal dumping, other criminal activity, and more fires in the remaining rubble. At some point, the city might have to just come in. If it isn't done, I think we should be charging higher fees. And if the work doesn't get done, the city comes in and does it and just puts it onto their property tax. Once again, that is Cindy Gilroy, Winnipeg City Councilor for Daniel McIntyre, who is set to bring a motion to Community Services Committee today on cleaning up the debris from demolished buildings and send the bill to the owners. So we ask you, how aggressive should the city be with getting these properties cleaned up? Let us know what you think, but this is encouraging. I was, I can't even remember where I was going the other day, but I drove up Main Street heading north And it was the first time that I'd seen those burned out structures. And my first thought was, ah, that's sad. And the second was kind of along the lines of what you were discussing, Greg, the, the, you know, what's the psychological impact on the neighborhood to, because it's not just like, that's a, that's a big, like that's a big stretch and it's of, of just blackened, destroyed buildings. And it looks awful in a neighborhood that's that, you know, has its already has its challenges. Yeah, and what's most frustrating for me in retrospect, Brett, is the fact that those businesses in the those buildings, two or three buildings there that burned to the ground, three successful businesses. There was a roofing company there. There was a surplus uh, kind of a liquidation company there that obviously would have been attractive to a lot of people in terms of getting goods at at, a, at an excellent price. And Lord Selkirk Furniture. And before that, it was it was Kernhill Furniture Co-op. So those, oh, yeah. you know, like a furniture store in that neighborhood, a, a locally owned family run business in the neighborhood, one that was contributing, one that was positive in that community and now those three businesses they're gone and they're they're not likely to be coming back it's mackling and mcgarry mcnab is on connecting winnipeg of what are you an anti-fan like the anti maple leafs fans in toronto a father and daughter they go to all the games and cheer for whoever the leafs are playing never toronto they hate the leafs 
and uh, they they've sort of become a sensation known throughout the league. So we're asking you, of what are you an anti fan? What does Dave say? I am very much not a fan of the song "Sweet Home Alabama" by yes. Leonard Skinner. It's overplayed, used everywhere, and when I hear it, it gets stuck in my head for hours, and I just can't stand it. What makes it worse is the rest of my family is caught on and will sing it just to get on my nerves. All in good fun, of course, but I would love nothing more than to never hear that song again. I'm with you, Dave. I'm with you. That's one of those songs that if I don't hear it again, I won't be sad. Just like uh, Brown Eyed Girl is one for me. Stuck in the Middle with You is another one. And then that uh, Grease Lightning sort of mix song. Basically, they're the, the, like the th- three songs that you hear at every social. Yeah, on and often back to back to back. Yeah, that's right. It's, and I think that's probably where I got it because they, they, they used to do that at the nightclubs when I was 18, 19. They had this sort of set in the middle where they'd go into these classic social songs and it was always those three Back to back. And I could also not do without um, uh, old time rock and roll. I Yeah, that song I would be happy to never hear again. But What's I the t- name of the I can't believe I've forgotten the name of the artist. It's, Bob oh, Seger? Bob Seger. Okay. I had it and then it went away because <laughs> I'm trying to forget it. I told Dave, just do like Mark Labossier used to do in the bars and just sing Sweet Home Manitoba instead. Oh, there you go. There you go. Maybe it can uh, turn things around. And then there's a hockey one here. Another one, Greg. Jamie McCowan, Flames, cross-checks Dale Howard Chuck in the ribs and ends our chance at the cup. Texter says, I loathe the Flames. And uh, Texter, I am with you. That play will live in infamy for Jets fans of era 1.0. I once served Jamie McCowan at Chi-Chi's in Calgary. After that? After that. The cook, the head cook, was also from Winnipeg. Oh, no. I went into the kitchen, and I said, all I'm going to say is Jamie McCowan is sitting at table 95, and he ordered chajitas. That's where I'll leave it. (laughs) Okay. I got to know how that story ends. Uh, an apropos selection for what we're about to tell you with what's new at the movies, considering who performs this song. Not this rendition, but uh, yeah. The summer movie season is here, and it kicks off with a big one. Crank up the volume for the biggest event of the summer. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is incredible, epic, a must-see. It's the best Marvel movie since Endgame. And you're just telling me now? Seems intuitive. Hello! I can't stop this feeling. It's good to have friends. Deep inside of me. Experience a brilliant end to a brilliant trilogy. Exactly, you idiots. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, rated PG-13, in theaters May 5th. Tickets on sale now. That's right, it's the latest from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Universe. And my question for you, Greg, just refresh my memory. The Twin Towers, your boys, are they into the MCU? They are. And we saw the very first movie in the theater together. And then I think we seen subsequently the other two at home. I didn't pay that much attention. I, I like the movies, but I'm not completely enveloped in the universe. But my kids like them a lot. Are, now, are they on top of all of it? Like the shows on Disney Plus? Or, or are they sort of casual? 
I have to plead ignorance on that. Yeah. I don't know. Well, and that's the thing. The reason I bring it up is because even I'm getting tired of the whole, like I know know those words, Marvel Cinematic Universe are probably three words that a lot of movie fans are anti-fans of because it's just so much like the, and I can't believe that I'm saying it because I love the superhero stuff, but I'm kind of getting tired of it because mm. there's just so much. Uh, but this one's getting decent reviews. As for what it's about, look, I don't know. They they they're misfits in space. They have adventures. There's a bad guy who wants to do bad things, and I guess the fate of the universe is presumably in danger. I don't know. <laughs> It looks fun. So there's no discernible storyline other than the broad strokes you just outlined. I'm sure there is. I, I, there's, there's. You've lost the nuance. Yeah, I mean, it does. It doesn't matter what the story is. Yeah. It's, it looks, it looks fun. But Marvel does need a winner because their last few movies have not performed as they still make a lot of money, but not nearly as much money as they once did. And fans are kind of like, come on, what? Where is this going? Because Phase Four was a mess. It was just disorganized. It was discombobulated. And it was all over the place. And I have no, like, kind of have a vague idea of where they're going. But at least with the event, the Infinity Saga, you knew where they were heading. You knew what the end game was going to be. Hmm. So I'm getting tired of it. And then you got all the movies from DC as well. It's just, it's a lot. Yeah, it's becoming almost too much. One thing I can say for sure, though, is I never get tired of that uh, Blue Swede song, Hooked on a Feeling. Yeah. Whenever I hear that, I'm bopping. Probably because you never heard it in the bar and you probably never heard it at a social. So not overplayed. Mm-hmm. And I associate it with this movie franchise every single time. That's one thing these uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movies have. soundtrack. Yeah, and there's a lot of artists probably making a lot of money again because of these movies. And like there's a song, The Rubber Band Man, by, was it The Spinners? Yep. Um, Great song I, also. I, I'd never heard that song until oh. Avengers Infinity War when the Guardians of the Galaxy made their first appearance. So yeah, fantastic song. So if superheroes are not your thing... Because often to kick off the summer movie season, there will be a, it's always a superhero movie. Marvel has claimed that weekend uh, for the last like 15 years. But there's usually a counter programming film uh, that's out, maybe something more romantic. There's a movie called Love Again. Listen to how romantic this sounds. Is she using the leaf to blot her tears? It would be weird to give her tissue. Mira, we make children's books. Maybe it's better to prepare them. Life will inevitably crush their hopes and dreams. Doesn't that sound optimistic and romantic? Mm. Priyanka Chopra Jonas plays a woman who is grieving the death of her fiancé, so that's why she's grumpy and sad. So she starts texting his cell number as this sort of form of therapy, thinking it's going nowhere, but she doesn't realize the number's been reassigned. To someone else. So this guy, who of course happens to be handsome, uh, he starts getting these mystery text messages, and he he starts to wonder like, is it possible to fall in love with somebody you've never met? Because the words are so endearing. So that's the romantic angle. But me, maybe I'm a cynic. But he gets all these text messages. Yes. Doesn't reply to this person to identify, hey, by the way, I don't know who you're texting. That's creepy. And then he goes out of his way to, because she says, I'm going to be at such and such a place. (sighs) I'll be thinking of you. So he goes there to find her. That seems stocky to me. I'm with you. So anyway, I know I'm taking a really negative view of this whole thing, but uh, they do eventually meet. Of course and they do. Celine Dion is in the movie because this guy, he plays a journalist who's assigned to go write a profile piece on her. So he meets her and 
and then he's asking her questions. And so she she says herself. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's her, it's her first film role. She plays herself, and she she gives him the new guy love advice, and she has some fun kind of playing, you know, on her own personality. Hi, this is Celine Dion. Sure. And I'm Mariah Carey. Love comes to those who believe it, and this is really me. Oh my gosh! Hi. So I don't know. It's uh, it's getting bad reviews, by the way. Also, should point out uh, Priyanka Chopra Jonas married to Nick Jonas, and uh, of course, and he he has a cameo. I guess she, they're on a date. Yes. So he's in a cab with her, and he's trying to make out with her, and and he he's a bumbling idiot. So they they it was kind of fun to see the two of them on screen having fun. So you've way. seen the previews, you've seen the trailer, yeah. not the entire film. No, I haven't seen the movie. Will you see the movie, no, Brett McGarry? Okay. Movie. No, no interest. I'll see you, Guardians of the Galaxy, eventually, because I, I got, I still got to get down to Landmark Cinemas and try out their new premium seats, heated seats, if you want, heated seats, and of course the sound yeah. that makes all the difference, right? I mean, you can have your fifty-eight, your sixty-eight, whatever eighty-inch screen at home, and if you're, you know, you're lucky enough to have surround sound and all whatever you can get at home, that's one thing. But yeah. it's still great in the theater when you've got. Amazing visuals and a solid soundtrack and everything that goes with it, right? Oh, yeah. In the theater, you just can't beat that. No, I, I miss miss the sound at home. The big screen, big screen's great, but I can't turn it up too loud. Right, eviction. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg. Reminder, last chance to get in on the tickets for Jagged Little Pill, the award-winning Broadway musical coming to Winnipeg Centennial Concert Hall in October. We're asking you, what are you an anti-fan of? Inspired by the Toronto father and daughter who go to all the Leafs games to cheer for anyone but Toronto. And Jared, kind of on the same lines, Jared says, absolutely cannot stand Toronto sports fans in general. They always think the world revolves around them. It is the center of the universe, after all. That's uh, that's why that saying's a saying. But as Paul Maurice would say, cliches are cliches because they're true. We're going to pick a winner in our next segment, but right now we are going to introduce you to our Friday morning winner, our weekly winner, Greg Mackling, who is in studio with us. Oh, it is the host, it is the face, it is the voice of Global News Morning, seen Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. till 9 a.m. on CKND Television Channel 9, Cable 12, Gabrielle Marchand. I do feel like I am winning joining you every week. I should be bringing you treats, paying you to put me on. Oh, so that sounded not great. I just mean that I should bring snacks. Potluck snacks. In appreciation for your time with us. For this time, because it is such a lovely treat. Does it does this segment help make you Winnipeg famous? No. (laughs) (laughs) And thank goodness, because most of the time when I'm going out, I look like a dumpster fire. So that is false. Sweatpants. False. I'm just talking about. I know know, at least uh, uh, two listeners who uh, say that this is their favorite segment of the week. And I think didn't somebody tell you once that uh, they were all excited because they heard you on our show, even though you're on TV like uh, 212 days a year. Yeah, that's my mechanic, Warren McCaskill. He that's doesn't right. care that I'm on TV, but he listens to the show so, all the time. So, so there, there you go. You go. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm on to something. Okay. So we do, we do like to 
review the week's fun topics with Gabby to send you into the weekend on a lighter note. And I think we can combine two topics in one here that we did this week, Gabby, because we had favorite or least favorite yard shores as one topic. And then another topic was times we provided free labor, whether we intended it or not, like the 10-year-old kids in Kentucky working at McDonald's until 2 a.m. Still one of the top stories on globalnews.ca. So for you, what was it? I remember fondly in some ways that we would do chores as kids. I think that is important. It was important for our upbringing and that we developed a sense of responsibility and how to contribute to a household. But there are some chores that stick with me that I love cleaning toilets. I love cleaning toilets. Like I'll clean your toilet all day, every day. I think it's a great time. For real? Yeah. Washing dishes too. Love it. Find it very therapeutic. The thing I hate, I hate more than anything. I loathe, loathe, loathe. Our parents would wake us up early because it gets so hot during the summer in Saskatchewan, much like Winnipeg. They'd wake up us up early and we'd head out these little rag, ragamuffs, scrub muffs. I don't know, whatever you want to say, just haggard children in our pajamas out into the yard to pick weeds in the sun. And I just think of sweating, just absolutely sweating, sitting there thinking about how much I hated my life in my like dirty sweatpants, picking weeds. So were you pulling them or were you doing, my mom would take the serrated edge, like the bread knife and cut the weeds out of the the front lawn whenever she did that, because just pulling them, you're not getting the roots, right? So they just come back. What was what was the strategy in your household? We were supposed to try to pull the root out. Although at that point, I just said, too bad. I'm going to punish you, mom and dad, for punishing me with this <laughs> stupid chore. <laughs> and that's the point I think I was just picking grass. Like I would just pick grass and throw that in the bag to make it look like I'd picked more weeds. <laughs> yeah. oh, was there a potato in there? Sorry. Was that your gardening? Well, too bad. Looked like a gone, weed to me. Have you ever gone <laughs> raspberry picking? Raspberries, no. Strawberries, yes. That's not fun. That's not enjoyable, is it? Thorny? Is it thorny? I just, you got bend over and it's typically hot. And I, I, I've you, done that twice and I did not enjoy it either time. When you put it in that context, maybe a little bit, because on one hand, it was really neat. It was the, the one that's um, out by Stonewall. The, is it Boonstra? That sounds right. Boonstra uh, Farms, yeah. And it was my first time there and it was lovely. It was And it was such a neat, unique place. Uh, relaxing place to be. But I think there was one point where I kind of thought we paid to be put to work here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was, you know, it was the the best strawberries I'd ever had. We were just eating them right off of the, you know, the bush or whatever. You pick strawberries. Sounds so romantic. I think it sounds delightful. Actually, I was looking for date ideas and Brett had suggested that I take my date out for strawberry picking. And then what if you learn to make jam after? New activity. I'm always looking for hobbies. I don't have many. My new hobby is being part of our union at work. It makes me feel like I'm a part of something. So, (laughs) If you do go to that farm, make sure you you stop in to Stonewall after and go to Sig's. They've got great burgers. Oh, I can't. I'm hungry. I want to go now. Strawberries and bergs. Yeah. No strawberries quite yet. No, it's (laughs) too soon. Not quite yet. Clearly, I don't know much about gardening. Learn nothing. Also on the subject of uh, Canadian legends this week, of course, after the death of Gordon Lightfoot, uh, we were asking our listeners about their favorite Canadian legends or have you ever 
bumped into a Canadian legend and you had an interaction where you ate their potato chips? Yes, yes. I went to Pony Corral to see this intimate evening with Stephen Page of the Bare Naked Ladies. And I went with a Winnipeg legend, Howard Manshine, okay. who many people know. And he has all the connections, right? So we go to the little green room at the Pony Corral downtown. And Stephen Page is sitting there. And they had some bowls of chips. And I, I think he offered or somebody offered. And I, I wasn't going to say no. That would be so rude. And I grew up on the Bare Naked Ladies. My dad loves them. So it was kind of a cool experience. He has an amazing voice when you're sitting close to him. And then also free chips. I mean, that was honest, honestly the best part was those free chips in the in the green room. Were they like made by the like like made by the restaurant? No, chips? I think they were just bowls of like Lay's chips. Like I it looked like <laughs> you were at somebody's 14th birthday party in a basement in Saskatchewan. Like there's just these bowls of chips there. Yeah, it's just like a um social food, you know? Yeah, just like that. Yeah. That'd be a great place for that too. Uh, which which pony was that? The one that was downtown. I don't think it's there anymore. Right? Oh sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was a that was a great room. York, or, uh, yeah, Saint York. Mary. Yeah, Saint Mary it would be Saint Mary oh, no, Avenue. Saint Mary Avenue. Yeah, Saint Mary yeah, yeah. It is close. That's too bad. And then uh, great customer service experiences. I just feel, I, I'll say this quick because I don't think we have that much time, but I, I feel like I have so Look many. Look at you watching the clock. I know. I'm <laughs> impressed. You're becoming a radio person by the week. <laughs> I, uh, I think that I just have had so many wonderful customer service experiences in Winnipeg because it's such a friendly, genuine place. I, I can't think of a bad one off the top of my head. I really can't because people are hardworking and they are nice here. And that's why it's called Friendly Manitoba. That is also a, a proof positive that Gabrielle Marchand might be the most positive person we know because she's too positive to even see the negative. Can't <laughs> even pick out one positive experience amongst and above all other positive experiences. That's quite the statement. Everybody, it's all just unicorns and rainbows <laughs> in Gabby's and world. And whiskey and, and wine. <laughs> And dart sometimes. And now I'm picturing Gabby with a bottle of bourbon riding a unicorn <laughs> on top of a rainbow. Perfect. It's my Halloween costume. I can't wait. <laughs> Gabrielle Marchand, host of Global News Morning, weekdays 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. on Global TV. Thank you very much for joining us, Gabby. Happy Friday. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg. What are you... An anti-fan of something that you just despise, like the uh, Toronto Maple Leaf. Well, they they don't they go to their games, but they cheer the father and daughter. They cheer for anybody but the Leafs. Maple Leafs are public enemy number one for them. They're big Montreal Canadiens fans, and I can't imagine how much their season tickets cost because they're on TV all the time. Yeah. So, which means they're close enough for the for the cameras to capture them. This is like you are all in on this anti Maple Leaf thing if this is the route you're going. So I, I commend them for being so loyal to everybody else. I wonder if they get a deal too somehow because they're maybe because they're, they're sort of like if they're well known around the league, they're almost like mini celebrities, really. That's interesting. So when we talked about this at 6, 645, uh, Sarah McCarthy revealed that she is an anti-fan of tomatoes, pretty much all things tomato. And Terry says, I'm with Sarah. I am anti-tomato slices. But what I really can't stand, says Terry, is you too, Uh-oh. pompous bums. And then he goes on to say, P.S. When are we going to have a Tegan and Sarah morning musical number? 
Curious to know how often our friends and colleagues, Sarah McCarthy and Tegan Rasha from Global News, have been asked about being being compared to the band Tegan and Sarah. Yeah, we should have them. We should we should facilitate that without question. So, Terry, can I say two out of three ain't bad? Uh, I'm with you on the tomatoes. I'm with you like 600% on the Tegan and Sarah morning musical number uh, about the U2 thing. I get it, but I, I still love them. Harry says we had somebody earlier talking about how they hate all things Adam Sandler as it pertains to comedy. Harry says anything Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell movies? Uh, yeah, just dumb. I'll never listen or watch anything with Will Ferrell. That's fair. He's got a specific brand of humor, and either you're in or you're out. I feel like there's no in-between. I think that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, no in-between with Will Fer- Ferrell. I like some of his movies better than others. I, th- I think he recycles a lot of jokes, yep. lots of tried and true stuff for that works for him. I, and I don't like, uh, that's the part I don't like. But Jeff is our winner. <laughs> boy, oh boy. This is almost well too thought out, Brett. I love it. Jeff says, I absolutely loathe Sandra Bullock. Speed was the last movie I intentionally watched with her in it. Awful. I made a pact I would never watch another movie with her in it. But then I accidentally watched something on Netflix featuring her, a movie called Bird Box. And upon realizing it was Ms. Bullock and that I'd already invested 40 minutes in the movie, I decided to give her another chance. Turns out my original instinct was correct. The ban still prevails. First of all, I love Speed is one of my favorite movies, so it makes me sad, Jeff, that you don't like that movie. But Bird Box, that was a like a wildfire and probably a bad choice of words given what's happening in Alberta. But that was a huge, huge phenomenon. So overrated. So overrated. Did you watch that? Yeah, I did. What'd you think? Just exactly what you just said. Okay. Yeah, and I love Sandra Bullock, even though I would it be hard-pressed to name one good movie she's been in. Demolition Man? <laughs> I'm going back. Oh, you're, you're not helping your case here, dude. <laughs> And before we bring in our next guest on an important topic, we do need to follow up on something we were discussing just before sports. Sandra Bullock, I said, you know, I'm a big fan of hers, but I couldn't really think of a really good movie that she'd been in. And then you remembered that she'd been in The Blind Side. And didn't you say, you said, didn't she win the Oscar as Best Actress for that? She most certainly did. One of our listeners also reminded us of that. So she started in The Blind Side, and that's the movie about NFL offensive lineman Michael Orr. I think Orr's retired now. Great movie. Really enjoyed that one. It won Best Oscar, or Oscar for Best Picture, and Bullock won uh, Best Actress for her role back in 2010 as Leanne Tui. As we have been telling you today, today is Red Dress Day. It's an honor of and to raise awareness of missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people. And as we discuss and learn about Indigenous issues, culture, and history, we just happen to coincidentally have this next guest booked for today to discuss their debut novel. Yeah, the book is called A Grandmother Begins the Story and comes from Indigenous Voices Award-nominated author Michelle Porter, who joins us live from Newfoundland. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. How are you? We're very well. You're actually our second guest of the week joining us from Newfoundland. So it must be a special time, a beautiful time of year to visit the rock. 
You know, we've been having unending rain, so maybe come next month if you're planning. (laughs) Very good. That's good to know. We appreciate you making time for us. And as Brett mentioned, the fact that we happened to book you uh, on this topic for today without initially connecting the dots, that it is, in fact, Red Dress Day. It highlights that while today is an important day, it's important to continue to have these conversations regardless of what day it is. So just talk a little bit about storytelling, story sharing in general before we talk about the book and and the unique way in which it's written? Well, stories have been, you know, the lifeblood, you know, uh, my whole whole life. Um, I I learned storytelling, listening to my mother's stories. Uh, She was, you know, the best storyteller. And uh, learning from her, um, I heard stories about music, about our history, um, you know, about... uh, about uh, my grandmother's days in Manitoba, and uh, so many other things. Um, and as I've been exploring my own path to storytelling, I've been telling nonfiction stories. I've been telling stories in poetry, and um, you know, there's been there's this beautiful freedom as I've moved over to to fiction to like tell the truth, uh, the, the emotional truth, in a way that. Um, you can't quite when you're actually constrained by the actual facts of things that have happened. And instead you can, you can, um, you know, tell the story of, of, you know, what things have felt like. Um, and you, you don't have to, um, you know, be careful with, um, you know, the actual people who, who, uh, are in, are in nonfiction. So I've done, I've done storytelling across genres and so happy to have my first novel coming out. Well, we're going to ask you about your the, your non your previous nonfiction book uh, in a moment, but this book that's coming out on May 9th, it's called "A Grandmother Begins the Story." And before we learn what it's about, one of the things that stuck out for us in the initial pitch when we got to the notes on this was that the novel is told in chorus. What does that mean? I. I'm very much inspired by music. So I, I, I like to say that, you know, my ancestors uh, were very musical people. Uh, you, if you look in the old uh, Winnipeg newspapers, you'll see trails of them, uh, advertisements for the Red River Echoes playing traditional Métis music and other kinds of music. So uh, when I looked at how to put together this novel, I was very much inspired by this idea of the crooked Métis jig and uh, wanted to write a novel that, that brought all the voices together. Uh, and, um, you know, each voice is a different note in the in the whole song. Uh, but like a cro- crooked Métis jig, drops a phrase, drops a note, or adds some, a couple of beats where necessary, where it fits for the song, or, you know, in this book for the novel. So expand a little bit then about this story, who's featured, and uh, just tell us a, a little bit about the story and and the story that it tells and and maybe even even shares and hints at. For sure, I have many stories that are going on in this novel. I wanted to bring so many voices together, both human and and non-human. So, uh, you know, the human stories start at you know, my, my actual grandmother's feet. Now it's all fiction, but it's told in conversation to 
in conversation with my mother's stories about my uh, grandmother, who actually passed away when I was when I was a child. So um, I uh, gave my grandmother a, a whole new life in in this novel. Uh, although you know it is a fictional character named Genevieve, and you know she's uh, she's in her seventies and she uh, wants to um, stop uh, drinking. Uh, she's an alcoholic, and she goes off, you know, uh, she goes off to a rehab center. And um, there she reconnects with her uh, sister who passed on years ago, and the two of them uh, play music across across the spirit world and the earth world together. Uh, those are just a couple of the, the human stories. It's actually five generations of, of Métis women. Um, the oldest one is in the afterlife and making her way to uh, to the places she's supposed to be there, and the youngest is a you know a great great grandson uh, who was who was recently born, uh, ja- Jasper, um, and and his mother Carter. Now, um, those human stories focus on the the challenges of building relationships across intergenerational trauma. Uh, you know, what happens in the years and the generations following, uh, you know, some of the, the challenges, the difficulties uh, that Métis people faced uh, in, you know, in the early 1900s uh, and, and before, of course, but just the intergenerational nature of it. Built into that are the stories of a bison herd. Now, in this novel, they are on a piece of land waiting to be transferred to uh, a government park, but through bureaucracy, they're there. They've been there for generations. So it actually starts with the story of, uh, you know, a bison named Dee, who is um, separated from her her mother and uh, moved to another uh, herd and tries to figure out life there. Uh, so again, there's these the themes of um, dislocation and disconnection and trying to overcome that, looking for ways to overcome that. Now, of course, the whole theme of all my lo- all my relations, that, that whole idea that we're all related, the human and the non-human, is so strong in this book. And that's why I've told the Bison stories alongside the human stories. And I've also built in, there's the, the land has a voice, um, there's a couple of dogs that have a voice, and 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 even a car is imbued with a with a spirit with that sort of Métis belief that that um, everything everything can be imbued with the spirit of of the person or the being uh, that that is in contact with it. Our guest is Michelle Porter, author of A Grandmother Begins the Story, her debut novel, which comes out on May 9th. Now, you, as far as your other writing is concerned, you've mentioned your poetry, for which you've been nominated for awards, and your nonfiction book from 2020, Approaching Fire. Uh, what was that about? I understand that it, it sort of took you back into your, your family's past? Yes, it's the book that led me to, you know, telling my grandmother's story in fiction in A Grandmother Begins the Story. So in Approaching Fire, I went back to my great-grandfather, who, of course, I never knew, uh, but I was doing. Uh, I did. I was doing research, looking for traces of him in uh, archives, newspapers, and and oral history. I, I went back and talked to my to my uh, auntie, who's the oldest member of our family, uh, to collect the stories. Uh, now, my great grandfather um, is the son of Maxime Maxime Goulet, uh, who is very well known, uh, of course, in Manitoba, and he was one of his sons um, and one of his perhaps most musical sons who just picked up the fiddle and couldn't put it down and 
um, that drove his whole life. So he he played traditional Métis music all over Manitoba, won awards, was uh, you know a teacher to some of the the very well known uh, more contemporary uh, Métis fiddlers. And um, I wanted to get to know him, um, and I think that that's how I how some of the purpose of my writing is how to get to know some of my uh, ancestors, uh, some of the people that came before me. And in writing this book, um, not only talking to getting stories from various family members, finding just evocative traces, little bits of him in in newspaper, um, little newspaper stories, um, and in uh, advertisements, but also in you know, I used that book to ask questions of him. You know, what was it? What, what, who, who, who was he? Why did he, you know, why did he, you know, pick up the family and, and, and move away at the time that he did uh, to British Columbia? Um, and, you know, what was his relationship with other Métis people at the time? What was his relationship with, with his father and his great and his grandfather? What languages, all those things, what languages did he speak? And, and some of the answers and some of the questions just made a, a beautiful multidisciplinary innocent book uh, and that book it's kind of an ode itself to to my great grandfather who in many ways just started it all for us and kept the love of Métis music and the love of our of our culture going our family histories are so important to understand where we come from and it helps us I think to to lay a path for the future as well I, I, we can expand on those thoughts if you'll join us again, Michelle, thank you for this. Congratulations and good luck. Thank you so much for having me. Michelle Porter joining us live on 680 CJOB from Newfoundland. The book is called A Grandmother Begins the Story. It is her debut novel and it makes its debut on May 9th.